Welcome to Founder Views. My name is Costa. I'm your host and co-founder of Web for Realty, a SaaS company that I bootstrapped out of my parents' basement with no money and no tech experience into a fully remote company doing seven figures in ARR. I'm taking you through my SaaS journey in real time as I talk about business situations I'm going through, thinking about, or just find interesting. My purpose is not to give you the answers, but to spark something in your mind that can help improve your business along the way. All right, I am thrilled to introduce my next guest on Founder Views. I'm speaking with Derek Steer, the CEO and co-founder of Mode Analytics. Uh, Mode helps entrepreneurs grow their businesses faster through data-driven decision-making. Mode is currently being used by many marquee companies such as Lyft, Zillow, Unbound, DoorDash, uh, Everlane, and Meredith Publishing uh, for product financial and marketing analytics. And this year in 2020, Mode was the recipient of four G2 awards, including best estimated ROI, fastest implementation, highest performer, and overall leader. And at this point, 52% of the Forbes 500 have signed up for Mode, uh, which is pretty crazy. So, and, and Mode recently closed a successful Series D round, uh, bringing the total funding raise to 83 million. Uh, a lot to unpack there, but Derek, welcome to Founder Views. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So um, kick things off. Just tell us a bit about yourself, your background, where you're from, and, and how you got started with Mode. Uh, yeah, I'm originally from San Francisco. I know that's that's weird. I'm, I'm one of the few. Uh, I grew up here. I live three blocks from the house I grew up in. Uh, always been passionate about problem solving. So even as early as high school got into economics, realized that was kind of the direction that I wanted to take my career. Thought I would do something more traditional originally, but um, but just sort of through happenstance landed in technology at Facebook of all places in 2010. So like interesting and pivotal time. If you think back, you know, that Facebook was competing with MySpace in, in 2010. It wasn't like a done deal yet. Um, Went from there to a company called Yammer and and saw you know hyper growth there. It was you know still it still is one of like the great Silicon Valley success stories. Um, and then you know at Yammer, kind of looked around, realized that a lot of the companies that were doing data analysis most effectively were building tools internally that all kind of looked the same. And you know my my now co-founders at Mode and I saw this and said, hey, we know how to build those tools. These are things that we're using as analysts in our day-to-day lives. Let's go and commercialize that and you know, supply the, the pickaxes in, in the new data gold rush. Awesome. So, so Facebook in 2010, um, how long were you, were you at Facebook? Oh, not even a year. Oh, okay. Okay. And in fact, it's kind of funny. So at the time, you know, uh, Facebook groups didn't exist. Facebook for work didn't exist. Like the, the, the platform was relatively new in, in the way that it felt, uh, even like, I think timeline was not out yet. Yeah. So it was a much different product than what we think of as Facebook today. Uh, most of the work that got done at Facebook was done over email. And that just seemed crazy to me. And so when I was looking at like, Hey, what, what do I really want to do? You know, landing at Facebook for me was sort of a, it was sort of a weird coincidence. And I didn't think I was going to stay there long. I never intended to stay too long. And in fact, my original intention was to go to business school. But as I was evaluating that decision, I looked at other companies and thought, you know, this Facebook thing, I really believe in the way that people communicate in the open 
and this threaded conversation pattern that I think this is really smart, but I want to use that for work where I live, you know, 10 hours out of every day. Like, let me, let me use that for work. And Yammer was the company that was doing that. And so I went to Yammer. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, so you mentioned at Yammer, you, you saw sort of introduced hyper growth. Um, like what did that mean to you at the time? Yeah. Well, it's funny because like on the, Facebook counts as hyper growth too, but my, my point of visibility just wasn't as good. I mean, at Yammer, I saw it at a much smaller scale and you feel it more, I think when, when it's small, um, the going from 150 to, to 300 employees feels very different than going from 1500 to 3000. So what it meant for me, honestly, was like, I was, I was on the ground. I was, I was really the main person providing analytical support to our sales, marketing, customer success teams. And that, I mean, just to be the go-to person for all that, like my job was to look into whatever seemed like the biggest problem there. I was always working on the, the thing that felt most important and like it was going to move the business the most. And in that sense, I really had a front row seat. Whereas a company like Facebook that was a little bit bigger by the time I got there, I was doing some experimental stuff. Maybe it was going to be valuable. Maybe it wasn't. And in fact, you know, uh, almost nothing I did there turned out to be long-term valuable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's amazing. So at your stints at Facebook and Yammer, like, was your intention to, to start your own company uh, or was it something, something you sort of just, you know, saw a problem that you, you felt passionate enough to solve on your own? It was never my intention. I mean, it was, I had never specifically intended to work in tech. In fact, I had a strong intention to go elsewhere to work in something traditional, like a banking or consulting type of background. Mm. Uh, I think one thing that I have done well or been lucky at is identifying the right opportunities as they have come along and and taking advantage of them. And maybe I missed some here and there, but but on the whole, you know, I've I I've been unafraid to make a jump when something presented itself. And mode very much was that, you know, it would it just became something that I was thinking about all the time like man, it, this should exist. I really want to go and build this product this company because it should exist in the world. And I got obsessed with that. Yeah. So, so from like idea to like mode is launched, like, you know, what's the timeline there? Uh, we probably batted it around for four or five months before leaving our day jobs. We didn't do any work before leaving our day jobs. Um, because you know what, what we were doing was very close to the work that, well, mode is very close to the work that we had done at Yammer, and it was important that we have a clean separation between Yammer and mode for IP ownership reasons. So we couldn't actually work on it. But we talked about it maybe four or five months beforehand. Okay. And so when was mode launched? We started the company in August of. 2013 we launched the first product that anyone could really use like like a you know super early alpha type of product um early 2014 so it was maybe like six months to get something in the hands of another person and then i, I want to say at the end of june 2014 so so roughly 10 months after we started the company we launched the product publicly 
Awesome. Awesome. So I, I know you mentioned your, your background is uh, in economics. Are you also like a coder developer? Uh, to the extent that it's necessary for data analysis, yes. Um, I can also put together a static site, you know, like some basic HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Like I can, I can, I can hack my way through it, but I certainly am not the person you want building production software. I don't touch Mode's code base at all and haven't ever. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I just wanted to get some context there. All right, perfect. So thanks so much for, for sharing the background. I, I got asked, did you always own the domain uh, mode.com? No, and actually my email address is still at modeanalytics.com because it, it turns out that unwinding like all of your logins with the with a particular email address is a huge pain. Uh, <laughs> okay. We, it's, we always wanted it and it informed the name of the company. Like when we named the company, mode.com was available. Then it got snapped up by another company, Glam Media. So they rebranded to be Mode Media. And this was a company at the time that had a unicorn valuation. So I thought like, oh man, we're never going to get this domain. I'm so bummed. I wish we had snapped it up when we had the chance. Um, and then they went out of business. And kind of long roundabout story, but um, someone else bought the domain out of ABC and then as like a part of a bundle of things and then auctioned it off. And we just, we just put wow. down a real legit bid. By that point, we had enough money that we could put down a, a real bid for this domain. And nice. I'm so glad we have it now. It's, it's, <laughs> that's a, I, that's I, I love the brand. I've always loved the Mode brand. I think it's really strong. Yeah, that's awesome. Do, do you share how much uh, it costs for the domain? Uh, uh, it was six figures. Okay, <laughs> good answer. Uh, all right, perfect. So how big is, is the team at Mode today? It's around 120 people. Wow, okay. And... Um, are you guys, I'm assuming, remote now or? Well, we were partially remote prior to COVID. So okay. we had started to introduce remote work, particularly in engineering, and have found generally that the talent pool outside the Bay Area is strong. You can hire great people who want to live in a place where there's more space, better schools, whatever it is. Um, I love San Francisco. I'm going to be here my whole life. But I understand that like plenty of people don't want to be, and that's that's fine. Yeah. So we started moving in that direction. I think it prepared us very well for this world where everyone is working remote. Um, in particular, just like getting a little bit tighter around the metrics that we track, making sure that, you know, we're finding deliberate ways to interact with one another because the serendipity no longer happens. We will go back to an office and we'll do it as soon as we think it's it's practical following the guidance of, of some of the larger tech companies. So I think, you know, there is also a market here that we have to respond to where hey, if the market says most companies are going to allow permanent remote work, then I think we need to accommodate that in order to make sure that we can get the best talent. Yeah. And so we spend we spend a good amount of time thinking about how to make that effective. But I personally think there's no replacement for in-person collaboration at a whiteboard. When you're trying to do something creative and new, standing at the whiteboard with another person is what it's all about and cannot be replaced with Zoom. Um, so I look forward to, to bringing that back at some point soon. Yeah, okay, makes sense. So, so that's interesting. So just being remote now, someone with your background, all about data, what are some of the key like data points to, to understand if your team is being productive, efficient? Like, is there anything specific you like to track? It depends very much on the team. Uh, we 
in, in some places it's really easy. So for our sales team, it's just clear, you know, we know if you make a certain number of phone calls, right. Or you talk to a certain number of prospects, you know, some percentage of that will get through to the next step. And then the next step, like the company company is established enough that the funnel is relatively consistent from quarter to quarter. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as long as, as long as we're doing the right things in, in marketing and, and in sales to keep, to build the pipeline, then it, it tends to move through in a relatively consistent way. For groups like analytics, I think this has been a long-term challenge, right? Like, so I, so I came from analytics teams and those are hard to measure because, you know, the number of questions I answer, the lines of code I write, those things don't really correlate to the value that I'm generating for the business. You know, like, like I could in a given year, if I just discover one thing that is like the critical kind of unlock for the company, then, you know, I'm a positive ROI person for that whole year. I don't even need to, (laughs) to be around to do other stuff, right? Like one thing really can make someone's job and, and the, the challenge or, or part, part of the kind of rub with analytics is you might do 50 things, find nothing valuable on the way to that that one thing or and often it's not quite a silver bullet type of situation and you know often it's a little bit more like you know a couple things are quite a bit more valuable than others and and a lot of stuff is just throwaway how important is is actual uh like logged time tracking like is that important to you do you even do that at, at your company as in like track how how much time people spend working yeah pretty much no i don't care about that at all output. Um, yeah, it's just, and look, you know, I think the best teams tend to work a lot and be productive in that time. And that's, that's what I, that's what I like to see among the people I work with, because that's the way I work. I generally find like, Hey, if people are dedicated to what they do and, and they want to put in a lot of effort and make that effort count. They want to be around other people who are acting the same way. And that, that to me is what is important about the notion of hard work. Um, I also think the best companies just do all of it well. They they work smart and hard. Yeah, makes sense. I agree. Um, so switching gears, you recently closed your Series D. Um, that brings total funding, uh, which is on your website, eighty three million. Is that accurate? Yeah, give or take a little bit. I think yeah. I think that's right. <laughs> Perfect. So congratulations on that. Uh, first and foremost. Thank you. Um, so where is this latest round of, of investment being deployed at Mode? Uh, it's being deployed uniformly across the business. You know, I think relative to some businesses that are just like pure scale up, you, you know, you get into later fundraises and it's just like dump it all and go to market. Um, we have a product that is really, really broad and, and technically complex and requires constant improvement and innovation in order to stay competitive in, in our very crowded space. So we, I would say, probably invest more in R&D than the average Series D company as a, as a relative portion of company spend. Yeah, okay. So when, when, you, when, you, when you and your team started Mode, was um, just going the investment route always like what you wanted to do? Or was, I guess, the influence of like where you're located had something to do with that as well? Oh, the influence. I mean, there's definitely the sort of tech crunch influence. And I... Uh, th- this is this is one of the things that I really bemoan about Silicon Valley uh, or the, the culture of fundraising is 
you know, everyone's got an idea of what it should look like. And that, that like, if you can raise a round, then you go and raise the biggest, best, you know, most highest valuation round from the biggest name VC that you can. And that's like what success looks like. And I, I really don't think that's right. You know, when we left Yammer, there was another team that left Yammer that had just tons of credibility, connections to investors already, um, and went out and on day one raised a bunch of money at like a very high valuation, you know, much higher than what even YC companies were getting at the time. And I looked at that and I thought, oh yeah. In fact, the founder of that company said to me, oh yeah, Derek, you should be able to get terms like this, like no problem. And we, we weren't. And I was bummed about it at first, but I got some other good advice from, uh, from a guy named Mark Woolway, who was Yammer's CFO. And he basically said, I don't think that's good for companies, right? Raising a ton of money, it's not super great. I'm a big believer in the traditional path, raise an appropriately sized seed round and go from there. And so that's what we did. I actually wish we had raised less and later. Like I wish we had, I wish we just had, had imposed some, some hunger on ourselves very early on because for the first few years of the company, it was very easy for us to raise money. And I, I think the hunger sort of sharpens you. It, it, it directs you uh, more quickly toward the problems that are biggest for customers who will pay you money. It forces you to get traction. And, you know, by virtue of being able to raise money easily, we, we didn't have exactly the same issues. And so we, we played around with ideas that we thought were going to be cool, things that were effectively experiments that mostly didn't work out. And then, you know, when we got around to making a product for businesses to use to, to make their analytics teams more effective, which is a thing we really knew how to make, you know, by the time we did that, we had spent a few months, you know, like we tried to make this kind of open data thing work, you know, open source community a la GitHub. And, and it really didn't take off for a variety for a variety of reasons. Had we just skipped that entirely, we would have ended up with a simpler product. We would have brought it to market faster. The product we would have brought initially would have been better. It would have just been sharper all the way around. And I think that that's what we would have done if we didn't raise money early. Yeah. And that, that makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do, do you share uh, like the revenue figures publicly or like profitability and all that? Uh, we don't. It is a fast-growing Silicon Valley business, um, but, but we don't share the revenue numbers. Got it. Um, okay, so I'm curious. Like, uh, I'm assuming a lot of your clients are more like enterprise level. Like, I named off some big brands early on, or or does it vary? There's a broad spectrum of. It runs the gamut, and I think the thing we've been able to do really well is to grow with companies that are fast-growing. So, if you are a fast-growing company, then like Mode is probably going to be a good fit for you. Um, especially if there's some heavy data components, what you do. So when you look at our marquee customers, folks like Lyft and DoorDash are, are in there. And the, you know, data is, is hugely important to those businesses because you know, their effectiveness at routing people to the right place and predicting how much something is going to cost, that, that is you know, what creates their margin. So yeah. you know, they hire data teams and they respect what the data teams do and, and you know, provide them with the right kinds of tools. And, and yeah. Mode has really shined in those sorts of cases where companies have great data teams. Got it. Uh, on a high level, like what does the sales cycle look like you know, when you're targeting big brands and enterprises like that in terms of like, you know, sales uh, cycle length of it and, and just the overall process? 
Yeah. So we live in a really, really crowded category. I mean, business intelligence, there's just entrenched giants here. There are hot new companies here, companies that that grew really, really fast, like Domo and Looker. So we gotta we gotta get around those folks to get in. And and the way that we do that is they they've got a particular perspective, which is simplified drag and drop made for the non-technical user. Mode is about empowering the power users who then go and serve everybody else. And so it is collaborative and, and you know, there's a, there's a lot that we provide to the sort of non-technical end user, but we do it through this particular audience. That's our perspective. Yeah. And that allows us to get in typically with small deal sizes, but pretty fast directly to analysts, data scientists, uh, sometimes product management, um, those are the groups that that are going to adopt mode or engineering could be right. Occasionally it's engineering. Um, those are the folks who are the primary adopters and it's, it's pretty quick. So for, for like small startup-y folks, like companies, mode size, it's a one month sales cycle. It's pretty fast um, or, or faster in, at times, you know, like some, sometimes customers call us and it's like done in less than a week for big companies. It's a little bit longer, of course, because they've got, security reviews and all of the other typical enterprise stuff. But relative to traditional enterprise sales cycles, mode happens much faster because it's very targeted. Okay, got you. Makes sense. Um, Another topic. So I feel like most companies in in all industries, really, for the most part, you know, just sort of coast along and are like comfortable just making their profits, serving their, their sets of customers and whatnot. Would you consider mode in that category as more or more of like a disruptor or like a leader in the analytics space, which is already crowded, as you mentioned. Yeah. Well, we have to be the latter because, you know, there's, there's just not really room for companies that can't invest. Like, as I was saying earlier, we still, even as a series D company invest quite a bit in R and D because if you don't, you just get knocked out by some other company who does. So it really has to work this way in the category. It's, it's super hard to bootstrap a company in the analytics world. I wish we had been leaner in the beginning for a little longer, but ultimately this was going to have to be a venture-backed business. We were going to have to raise a lot of money in order to compete. And then once things start to pick up, you raise money because you know, the economics of acquiring new customers work and you just want to grow as fast as possible. Um, by virtue of taking money from investors, you know, it, it, it's not just investors, but like our customers and our employees all depend on us to, to make Mode a very big and successful company, right? The employees make more money that way. Their reputations are better until they're able to get a better next job. You know, our customers, obviously, like the faster we grow, the, the better the product will be and the better it will serve them. And, and our investors have, of course, just the financial motivation of they want this to be a big business. So every single constituent is counting on mode to be big. And that is how I think about our path, right? Like people ask me sometimes, oh, IPO, acquisition, you know, I, I tend to think that that follows value. And so I think only about creating enough value for mode to be a very big company. Yeah. Got you. Makes sense. Um, 
So I, I think a lot of that obviously has to do with just the mindset mindset of the leaders or the owners. Um, like how important do you think it, it is for companies to, to have or be in that state of mind? And, and more importantly, how do you get your team to buy into like the big vision and the big goals of being that leader, that disruptor? I think the most important thing to get buy-in is to set the tone early and, and have people who care about that right from the beginning because they will hire other people who care about that and you will have a self-reinforcing mechanism. Like the instilling the right kind of culture early is much easier than, than changing it later. And I think every company goes through growing pains where they, where they have to change some elements about their culture yeah. over time. But that is the hardest thing to do. And so to the extent that you can like find folks early who embody things that you that you want, you know, to be the values of your company, that's really important. So so how how are some ways like you you set the tone? Is it like, you know, verbal during the onboarding? Is it just like ongoing with like weekly meetings? Is it is it by action and people like yeah. you know, doing like what is well, it? okay. So every single thing that I do sets the tone. Um, the question I think I think maybe what you're asking is what I do deliberately to set the tone. Yeah. Um you know, I care a lot that people feel like they understand what's going on at the business and can ask questions or bring things up as they have questions. And so I have, I have always answered, we, we do a weekly all hands and we do anonymous questions. And like one of the things that I do that, that I think is unique is I'll answer any question that people have. And sometimes people throw spicy questions at me. That's okay. And it's important for me to remain composed and to answer those questions and to treat them like honest, good questions that they are. Because if I don't, then people will not ask questions, right? Like I have to take criticism gracefully from the company because if I don't, then other people won't. You know, all, all of the things I do are, that's the behavior that people will look at and say, oh, this is okay mode. And, and I need to make sure that that's what I want from other folks. So, so what do I care about? Um, I care that, that people understand the business and are working, you know, on behalf of our customer and on behalf of each other to make this something that is very big and successful, as I, as I just mentioned. And, you know, there are elements that I think help that, like transparency, the willingness to engage in, you know, meaningful conversations, take criticism, that kind of thing. Um, I think I am reasonably good at modeling that and, and showing the company that that's how to behave. Um, I think if there, there is one thing I would like to do better, uh, it's that I, you know, my, my sort of natural analyst brain is always churning through problems. What can be better? What do we need to optimize? What, what new things do we need to do at the company? Um, and I, I don't spend enough time celebrating the things that we do really well. And, and if there's a thing that I could change about, about the way that I project that, you know, that I'm trying to change. It's, it's, you know, being a little bit more celebratory of the wins. Yeah. Got it. That's, that's cool. Um, so sort of on top, like what, what does a typical day look like for you as CEO of mode? Uh, it's a lot of meetings. I try very hard to get like work time blocked in, but the, but the challenge is anytime, if I just like put an hour and a half free on my calendar, what ends up happening is I end up going through my inbox and like clearing out the backlog of stuff. Um, and some, some stuff I never even get to. So, uh, to, to write something that needs to be documented, it's 
I almost always have to do that outside of normal work hours because of the demands on my time from other folks at the company during normal work hours. Um, I have a lot of people who report to me right now, and I'm I'm trying to get that number down through through a little bit more executive hiring, but uh, but I think that is the the biggest challenge. I have three interviews today. Um, we have a number of leadership roles open, and so my day is all interviews. Um, that is common for me at the moment, um, and 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 has been hiring great leaders is like the highest leverage thing I can possibly do for the company, and so it feels important for me to spend my time there. Do you still do all the hiring or just like the executive type roles? No, I have a ton of trust in our, in our managers and our people team um, and in our individual contributors, you know, folks to, to give good interviews that are structured, that are going to lead to the right hiring outcomes, which in turn lead to the right outcomes for mode. Um, yeah. We have an extremely structured hiring process. So nice. I, I've been able to remove myself from that for quite some time. I, I, it's been years since I interviewed every single candidate. Got it. Do you, do you find yourself sort of gravitating towards certain departments in the company or are you just sort of all over? All over. Yeah. And I think that's important. Um, one thing, one thing that I can do reasonably well is understand the, the inner workings like below surface level of, of any team at the company. Um, I understand, like you asked me, you know, if I can write code, you wouldn't want me to write production software, but I understand the things that go into it. And like the reasons you would select one technology over another, just by being in the conversations and, mm-hmm. and I, it, it constantly, you know, shows itself to be valuable in, in ways here and there, but I, I'm, I'm all over the place. I, I, there's no, there's no division of the company that is more important than another one. Yeah, got it. So what, what's the one piece of advice, if you had to just pick one, that you would give to you know, a younger, early stage founder, CEO, that, you know, that's looking to reach the heights of a mode, for example, uh, that, that one thing that they should just you know, always keep in their mind or referencing back to? Well, I, I always give the same, it's, consistency is important here. So if you hear me on other podcasts, you'll hear me give one particular piece of advice and I'll, I'll re- reiterate it here. Um, pick something that you are obsessed with. Solve a problem you are totally obsessed with. Like, the reason that, that I started Mode is that I couldn't think about anything else. All I wanted to do when I woke up, when I went to sleep was start this business. And not, not because I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but because this is the thing that I wanted to work on and do. I'm seven, almost seven and a half years into this now. That's a long time. It's a really hard job to do for that amount of time. It's exhausting. And you just have to really want it in order to go the distance. And so that's what I tell people is don't even bother unless it's something you really want because so few companies make it like the way to maximize your shot is do the thing that you are obsessed with where you have unique knowledge and it's all you want to do. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, it's great answer. Um, just to play devil's advocate, cause I've heard another <laughs> argument as well um, or another viewpoint is you know, as, as a successful CEO, you don't necessarily have to be like so passionate about the product or service you're offering, but instead just passionate about 
business where like a certain CEO can literally be in almost any type of business and do well just because they have the love for business itself. Do you think that's, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts there? I think there are plenty of businesses for which that is the case Uh, for a product driven, you know, venture funded type of company. I think it's pretty hard not to be obsessive about product. I mean, to, to grow at the rates, like if you're taking venture money, you're expected to grow fast and to grow at those kinds of rates requires a great product. It's very, very hard because, you know, all the acquisition channels are, are saturated, right? Facebook ads are expensive. Google ads are expensive. The stuff you would normally do is very expensive unless it is bolstered by a community of people who love your product, right? Like the best products get great word of mouth. They get organic traction that just you can't buy. And so you can't fake your way to that kind of growth. It has to come, it has to come from a product that is going to convert people at a high rate. It has to come from a product that people are going to love and that you're going to retain your customers. It it just all starts there. So you have to be obsessive about that in order to be successful in this world, in my opinion. Yeah, I got it. Makes complete sense for sure. Um Derek, I do want to be mindful of your time. I do end off each chat with what I call the founders three, just three heavy hitting questions. If you're ready. Sure. All right. Number one, your favorite uh, or most impactful book that you've read. Um, So business book, hard thing about hard things. I go back to it all the time. Um, There's a particular chapter about, uh, about hiring. I can't remember if this is actually on Ben Horowitz's blog, like the uh, Andreessen blog or, or whether it's in the book. It might be both actually. Um, but there is a, a chapter about hiring execs. Um, and in particular, the thing that stands out is hiring for strengths as opposed to a lack of weakness. And look, again, hiring is one of the highest leverage things I can possibly do in order to make sure that I'm thinking about the right things. I reread this chapter every yep. time I hire somebody. New. Nice. That's awesome. Um, number two, your favorite vacation spot. <laughs> I'm really bad at taking vacations. <laughs> um, Right now, it's like the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, we, I don't know. I don't know that I can pick a favorite spot. I, we, we like museums. So, so my wife and I um, like, like to go to museums. We like city kinds of vacations. We're not really beach yeah. people. Um, we had a lot of fun in Copenhagen a couple of years ago. And someday when, when we're done with COVID, uh, the next stops will be Tokyo and Kyoto in japan so that's that's what i'm looking forward to it's usually about museums design that kind of thing yeah very cool and lastly if you can go back what's the one thing you wish you knew when you're just starting out in business i mentioned it already i think though though i didn't mention in exactly this wording there is a lot of silicon valley hype around a certain way to do things and that's like TechCrunch really helps perpetuate this fetish of VC funding, big rounds, that kind of thing. And at some point that can be good for the business, but in the earliest days, some amount of hunger, right? The, the, uh, a pressure that forces you to get to product market fit as quickly as possible is a really good thing. And I wish, that's a thing that I wish I had really understood instead of I mean, like I was bummed that we didn't get the seed round terms that, you know, my other Yammer colleague did. Um, Mode is now a, a bigger and 
you know, more established business than that one. So, uh, so like it all, it all kind of worked out in the end. And I think, you know, maybe to some degree, like there's a little bit of a proof point there around being a little bit more hungry helped us. Yeah. Well said. I think that's, those are some great insights for sure. Um, well, Derek, I just want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak with me. I think a, a lot of people are going to find this chat very insightful, very valuable. So I, I really, really do appreciate the time. Uh, congratulations on all your success and uh, to continued uh, success for yourself and Mode. I uh, wish you all the best. Thanks so much. This all was right. great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, I would love to hear it. Be sure to check out founderviews.com for my latest posts and episodes on my journey with everything SaaS, business, and startups. Talk to you later. Peace.